0: picking back up from where we left off in the fall in the book of Acts, and we're going to preach through uh, the rest of the book of Acts for the rest of the summer. Um, we, uh, if you remember, we uh, ended at chapter 9 in Acts, and there's a transition that starts to take place, really starts to take place in chapter 7, when uh, um, Stephen is uh, stoned to death and, and I always have to make sure I say to death. Because if I just say Stephen was stoned, so some people get confused. So Stephen was stoned to death, right? He was martyred. And, uh, and because of that, uh, the Christians are now uh, spread. And they go out. Uh, you have in Acts chapter 8, you have Philip uh, giving the gospel to the Samaritans. And in particular to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then in Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. And uh, now we pick up in Acts chapter 10 with, uh, with a story with Peter. And, uh, and we're going to begin to see that the gospel is going to start to move. Uh, this gospel that begins in, uh, in Israel and in Jerusalem starts to spread first into the, the, the outside of Israel and then out into the Mediterranean and around uh, into all these various cities, and so we're asking the question: What happens when the gospel comes into these various places? And so uh, this morning, we're going to see how the gospel comes um, to the city of Caesarea. There's a map uh, up here we have that I want to show you. Do we have that map? Maybe. There it is. Um, so here's uh, here's a map of Israel in the New Testament, and you can see here. This is here's Israel. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee, right, that flows the Jordan River down into the Dead Sea. And um, here's Jerusalem right here. And we're looking at a story um, where Peter goes from Joppa to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, there lives uh, a man named Cornelius. Um, So Peter's in Joppa and he comes up to Caesarea. Joppa, by the way, modern day. uh, Anyone know what Joppa is today? In Israel, it's the city of Tel Aviv, right, Tel Aviv. So, um, so uh, in Caesarea, we're told that there is um, uh, this man named Cornelius. Caesarea was built by King Herod. It was a port city. Uh, it, was, it had this amazing palace that extended out o- over the ocean. They built an amphitheater there. And our group, when we traveled to Israel, went to Caesarea. And this is in the amphitheater there. I got a chance to uh, give a devotional to our group from uh, Acts 10. Uh, and, um, and so uh, Caesarea was a Roman uh, garrison city. It was a military place, so lots of soldiers there. And uh, so it's not surprising that in this passage we find a centurion, which means he commanded a hundred soldiers. This was like a captain in the army. He had his soldiers, his hundred men that he was responsible for. And this centurion is a God-fearer, along with his whole household. A God-fearer was someone who, who had gotten very close uh, to the Jewish faith. They, they respected and followed the morals and the, um, many of the teachings. They worshipped uh, the Jewish God. They prayed, um, but they, they didn't go all the way. Right? They didn't get circumcised. They didn't follow some of the, uh, the other ceremonial laws of the Jewish people. They were a God-fearer. Um, and so uh, that's who we find in Acts chapter 10 in Caesarea, Uh, and so that's what we're going to read about. So normally I would uh, have you stand, but this passage is a little lengthy, and um, so I'm going to let you stay seated. Uh, In fact, this is um, taken as a whole. It's the longest narrative in the book of Acts because the stories in here are repeated multiple times, and there's a reason for that. Luke is wanting to tell us this is important. We should really pay attention to what's happening here. Uh, and so um, really listen as I read here. So uh, you can follow along on the screens or if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, that is 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel... Who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them, uh, those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. I was thinking this week, if I owned a golden corral, I'd put that verse on the wall. (laughs) Rise, kill and eat. Um, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I love that. He was expecting him, so he called together all the people he knew to hear what Peter had to say. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. He said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. So I asked them why you sent me. Cornelius goes on to retell his story about the vision he received. And then he says in verse 33, So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. It's the first time that language is used in the New Testament. It refers back to Deuteronomy. Cursed is anyone who's hung in a tree. Peter says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify. He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was saying these things, The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gifts of the Holy uh, of tongues of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles, the brothers who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And he tells the story then again, the sheet and the vision and the animals and the rise and kill and don't call unclean and and how he was called by uh, Cornelius and and went and preached the gospel. And in verse 15 it says, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Holy Spirit, would you fall on us as you fell on those Gentiles in Caesarea? Would you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to believe and to worship you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so thanks for hanging in there, a long reading. Uh, in, in 1914, Robert Frost penned a poem called Mending Wall. Uh, that poem he wrote right at the outbreak of World War I. And it became one of the most anthologized and analyzed poems in all of modern literature. In 1962... An aging Frost was sent by President John F. Kennedy to the Soviet Union uh, on a goodwill visit, and he read this poem to Nikita Khrushchev in Moscow. Even to this day, a hundred years later after it was written, it still uh, feels current. In the poem, uh, Frost says the he starts the poem by saying, "There's something that uh, uh, something that doesn't like a wall." There's something that doesn't like walls. And then he begins to tell the story of, you know, it's 1914. So and in England of how um, uh, there would be stone walls that separated people's lands. And without really knowing how, various ways, stones would fall down. And the wall would, would be in disrepair. And so in the springtime, they would have to come and fix the walls. And so in the poem, he talks about going to his neighbor... To, uh, to fix the walls and and here 's what it says in part of the poem it's, he says, I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we met to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go. He says, There where it is, we do not need the wall. he is all pine, and I am apple orchard, my apple trees will never get across and Eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. There's two phrases. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. And good fences make good neighbors. Those two phrases are repeated twice in the poem. And those two phrases capture a tension that is going on in Acts chapter 10 and 11. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. Good fences make good neighbors. Um, You see, those two phrases capture um, the reality that we live in, that we are constantly erecting walls between ourselves and our neighbors. But there is something that doesn't love a wall, and that something is the gospel. The gospel doesn't put up fences. The gospel tears them down. The gospel doesn't build walls. The gospel builds unity. That's what Peter and Cornelius experienced firsthand 2,000 years ago. Have you experienced it in your life? So take your sermon outline. Uh, It's on the inside cover of your bulletin. Let's think about unity together. First, we have to be honest about the absence of unity. The absence of unity. It's not a new phenomenon. It's actually as old as the garden. Um, God created us to be united. United with him and united with one another. But because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, mankind was plunged into disunity. Cain and Abel. Joseph and his brothers. Saul and David. Catholics and Protestants. Hutus and Tutsis, Crips and Bloods, Fortune 500 executives and Occupy Wall Street protesters, Republicans and Democrats. Because of the fall, we don't need help building walls that isolate us and divide us. We are actually quite good at it. We are quite good at building walls that keep us alienated from our neighbors. You know, it doesn't Doesn't our world feel like it's fracturing? Doesn't our culture feel like it's just um, coming undone? Whether black, white, Asian, or Latino, uh, I promise you this will not be the last weekend that we have to take a moment in the service to pray for some tragedy, to pray for um, uh, something because of someone's senseless or racist actions. We live in a polarized culture, unable to find unity on social issues, political issues, economic issues, any issues. You are either for me or you are against me. You know, if you disagree with me, then I'll just cancel you. Um, it's us versus them. And and we can't say that the church has been an innocent bystander on the sidelines to all of this. Um, that That, uh, that we have been uh, innocent with regard to the absence of unity. You know, during the Civil War, both northern and southern Christians argued, uh, appealed to the Bible to defend the institution of slavery. In fact, abolitionists who claimed the Bible taught elsewise were attacked as liberal and accused of trying to undermine the authority uh, of Scripture. Christians who defended slavery couldn't see the truth because of centuries of, of inherited racial prejudice, centuries of building walls. James Henley Thornwell was a minister in the Southern Presbyterian Church, the denomination that just a few generations later would become the PCA, our own denomination. He wrote, he said, as long as that race in its comparative degradation coexists side by side with the whites, bondage is its normal condition. African slaves are at the bottom of the line of races and do not deserve what is out of proportion to their capacity and culture. It's a minister of the gospel, right? A leader of the church building walls. You know, um, historically, when churches divided in the past, at least usually they divided over things of theological substance, you know, like the sacraments, but during the COVID pandemic, churches divided over masks and social distancing and vaccines. Right? We're really good at building walls, sometimes better than non-Christians. You know, Peter was a follower of Jesus, but he was also Jewish. Uh, God's, he, he should have known God's plan from the beginning was to bless the world through the Jewish people. God's plan from the beginning was to choose a particular people. He chose Abraham so that all the families of the earth would be blessed. Um, God wanted the Israelites to be a distinct people so that the rest of the world would look at them and see, that's what God's like. I want to worship him. And so in order to make them distinct, he gave them rituals and ceremonial laws and and, um, things that would set them apart and reflected his holiness. But instead of being a light to the nations, the Israelites turned away from God and they used his laws to make themselves feel superior to others around them, to feel superior to the Gentiles. They they kept the letter of the law, but not the heart of it. They let their racial prejudice start to build walls. But then Jesus came. Jesus was the perfect Israelite. He kept the heart of the law. And he abrogated the ceremonial rules that were specific just to ethnic Jews. He broke down their prejudice walls through the stories he told and the people he ate with and the people he healed. And when he left, he told his disciples that his church would expand beyond the borders of Israel and be made up of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so Peter, as this Jewish Christian, receives a vision of this sheet, right, and all these animals in it that he had grown up his whole life being told, these are not kosher, right, you're not allowed to eat these. And so that's why he says, no way, God, I've never let anything unclean, Uh, never eaten anything unclean. But at this key redemptive historical moment, God was, was doing more than telling Peter, you know, it's now okay to eat pork. He was doing so much more. He He was at the exact same time, he was working sovereignly through the life of Cornelius, this Gentile centurion, to give Peter the true meaning of the vision. And so Peter says in verse 28, he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me through this vision, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, God was teaching Peter that no race is better than another. It makes no difference who you are or where you are from, that the categories of insiders and outsiders don't apply. So when Peter began his sermon, he said this. He said, truly I understand God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. Right? He used to have a favorite people, the people of Israel, but not anymore. God shows no favoritism. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That, that end of that sentence, anyone who fears him and does what is right, is just another way of saying anyone who believes and repents, anyone who puts their faith in me and repents of their sins, is acceptable to me, no matter what, no matter who they are or where they come from. God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. But if you believe and repent, then you're acceptable to him. So the question is, well, believe in what? Right? Repent from what? And that's, that's the second point. What is the source of unity? Where does unity come from? What is its source? Some people think that... Um, that politics can be the source of unity, right? That if we just get the right people in office, if we just pass the right laws, then we'll have unity, right? Some people think that science will be the source of unity, that if we can just teach everyone uh, and, and enlighten everyone to the natural laws, uh, then we will have unity, right? Some people think that, um, uh, that relativism and tolerance Will be the source of unity. That if we can just teach people to get along, right? That that it's it's, it's true if it's true for you. Um, but I'm not going to demand that uh, believe in absolute truth. Um, well, when Peter comes to Cornelius, he doesn't give Cornelius and his household advice on how to vote. He doesn't give Cornelius and his household a science lesson. He doesn't give Cornelius and his household a bumper sticker that says coexist. When Peter comes to Cornelius, he gives him the gospel. He tells him about the life, uh, the death, the resurrection, the coming judgment of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel is the only source of unity. The gospel is the only thing that has the power to tear down the walls that human beings erect. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, he said, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's broken down the wall of hostility between us. What is it about the gospel that creates unity? It is that those who believe the gospel realize that they share the most important things in common. That though they might be so different, they are actually so much alike. Um... Peter, and learned this with Cornelius and his household, he realized what they shared in common in Christ, right? They realized, Peter realized that they both needed cleansing. They both needed cleansing. Peter said, everyone who believes receives forgiveness through his name. Well, how do you receive forgiveness through Jesus? Because he was the sacrifice that all the other sacrifices pointed to, right? John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away The sins of the world. In 1 John verse 7 it says, If we walk in the light God, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Peter needed cleansing. Peter was prone to anger. Peter had denied his Lord. Peter had built walls up. Uh, uh, and and, and felt superior to those who were different from him. He needed cleansing. But so did Cornelius the Gentile. Cornelius, who is described in the passage as devout, charitable. He prayed all the time, and yet he also needed cleansing. Because those good religious deeds did not make him right with God. The only thing that made him right with God was the cleansing of work of Christ on his behalf. Both Peter and Cornelius, Jew and Gentile, screw-up and God-fearer, had to pray the same prayer that King David prayed after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and after he um, killed his friend and her husband. He prayed, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, "'according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions.'" Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So I have to ask you this morning, have you been cleansed by Jesus? Are you clean? You know, the, the, the sins that we Um, do make us feel dirty. We carry that guilt and the shame. We drag it like a chain that we we refuse to let go. But do you realize that if you are in Christ you are clean. You've been made clean. Um, That, that, uh, That crimson stain has been washed whiter than snow. God said to Peter don't call unclean that which I've made clean. And he says the same thing to you. I've made you clean, right? I've forgiven you. I've cleansed you. Both Peter and Cornelius needed cleansing. And both Peter and Cornelius received the same Holy Spirit. The, the passage emphasizes this. It says there, um, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then in chapter 11 he says, If God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. What happened to Cornelius and his household was a mirror image of what happened to the disciples back in Jerusalem when they received the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Acts 10 is called the Gentile Pentecost when they received the Spirit. Uh, Michael Hart, uh, our, uh, one of the pastors here, he uh, tells a story about how when he was in seminary, he really respected this one professor. And, um, and the professor was talking about the gospel, right? The cleansing of Christ and the, the importance of the gospel and remembering the gospel and not forgetting it. And And so Michael went up to him after class and asked him, said, you know, how do I not forget the gospel? How, how, do, how do I, I mean, what should I do in order... Um, to, to not forget these truths. And, and he expected he was going to say, you know, read your Bible every day or go to church or, you know, whatever. Uh, and the professor just kind of thought for a second. And then he looked at him and he said, travel. Travel. And he, Michael's like, okay, I think this is really profound. I just got to figure out how. <laughs> Um, uh, kids think about this. Um, do you realize that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, right? But the Holy Spirit also lives inside of Christians who live in Alabama and California. And the same Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who lives inside of Christians in Alabama and California also lives inside of Christians in Russia, and in China, and in North Korea. And how, how amazing would it be if we could all get together, right? If God would bring us all together and we could get to know each other. And how amazing would it be if we could all worship God together? Well, one day we will. We share the same Holy Spirit. Um, that's what Peter and Cornelius learned um, The same need for cleansing, the same Holy Spirit, and then the same Lord. Peter says of Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Peter and Cornelius and his household, they all had the same Lord. They all had the same master. All those who follow Jesus are on the same team. We have the same mission. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So all of these things come together, right, to, to create unity among, among the, the followers of Jesus, among those who belong to him. Right? We've been cleansed. Um, we have the same Holy Spirit. We follow the same Lord. So then the question is, how do we maintain this unity? How do we maintain it? Um, right, the verse I just read from Ephesians 4, right before that, Paul said, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Be eager to maintain this unity. Um, unity takes maintenance, not because Jesus' work wasn't good enough, but because we are constantly tempted to rebuild the walls that the Lord has broken down. When we get to Acts 15 in a couple of weeks, we're going to see that um, what we thought was maybe settled in Acts 10 is still being argued about. That there's still division over whether the Gentiles are fully to uh, be full Christians, fully a part of this new family. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul even has to oppose Peter to his face publicly, has to call Peter out because Peter starts to fall back in to those prejudiced ways of thinking and building uh, of walls. Unity takes maintenance. Maintaining unity takes intentional effort. So how do we do it? Maybe just two ways. We should always be seeking to build bridges, not walls. Right? Build bridges, not walls, between yourself and those who are different from you. Build bridges between... Yourself and those who are different from you ethnically, those who are different from you culturally, morally, socially, economically, find ways to build bridges, not walls. It's fascinating to to think that, um, uh, do you remember Jonah? And God told Jonah, I want you to go and preach um, to the Ninevites, extend my mercy to the Ninevites. And Jonah said, no way. I hate the Ninevites. There's no way that I'm going and going to give them a message of repentance that they can know you. There's no way that I can believe that that they could be in the same family with me. And so what does Jonah do? He goes to try to flee, right? And where does he go to flee, to find a ship to flee? He goes to Joppa. He goes to Joppa to get on a ship and get as far away from God as he can. It's from Joppa the same place where Jonah went to flee because because of his prejudice, because of his walls that he had up, it's from Joppa that Peter now comes to Cornelius to bring this gospel to say the walls are broken down. Around the same time that Robert Frost penned his poem, Mending Wall, there was a Scottish pastor named Alexander White, and he exhorted his congregation From this vision, from Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, he said this. He said, how we also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into that same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about but their bad names that we have given them are in our sheet of excommunication also. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party in the political state also. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self seeking schemes. They are four footed beasts and creeping things. Indeed, there are very few men alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in the sheet of our scorn, unless it is one here or there of our own family or school or party. But even then, they also come under our scorn and our contempt the moment they have a mind of their own, an interest of their own, and affections and ambitions of their own. Um, he was right. He was right, right? That we so often uh, are guilty uh, of these things, right? Of building walls, even within the church. I was trying, how, I was trying, How do I communicate this? Um, and, uh, so I'll say something, you know, intentionally provocative to make the point. Uh, so listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Um, this is like a trigger warning. Okay. Um, a a professor said, don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay. So don't hear what I'm not saying, but it helps me to think of it this way. Uh, Borders. There's the trigger, right? (laughs) Okay. Borders. Um, you might live in a country that has reasons They might be good reasons to have strong enclosed borders. But the universal church of Jesus Christ always has open borders. There are no borders for the church, right? The church always welcomes aliens and strangers. The church always welcomes refugees. There are no borders for the church of Jesus Christ, we are to build bridges, not walls. And then if we're going to maintain unity, we have to stay humble. I was um, thinking about humility. And uh, my, my nine-year-old had a birthday party at the roller barn. Do you guys know what the roller barn is in Inverness? It's a roller skate rink. It's been there for like a millennium. And, um, and it's like the same carpet, the same roller skates, everything. Um, like I'm afraid to touch the floor whenever I'm there. And, uh, uh, and so we had a birthday party. We invited all of her friends, and, uh, and their parents were there. And then there were like four other birthday parties going on at the same time. So the roller barn is packed, right, on a Saturday. And, uh, and, and when they, they, they do these things on Saturday for all the parties, they come to a point where they, they do limbo, and then they do races. And so they they have races, and they they break them up by ages. They'll have, you know, the little girls go, and then the little boys, and then the older girls, and then the older boys. And we've been to other birthday parties at the roller barn before and seen this happen. And I knew that after they go through all the ages of kids, they always get to a point where they say, all right, are there any adults who want to race? And no one ever goes out there. And so I knew this was coming. I was like, we got to do this, right? We're going to... And so I... I grabbed my wife and I grabbed two other people uh, from, from our party. It's like, hey, let's go out there, right? We're gonna go race. And, um, and so we went out there and we lined up to race and, and then I learned this is why uh, adults never go out there to race. We, somebody filmed it, here it is. Oh, ouch. Yeah, yes. oh, there it is again. Watch my wife here. She like feigns concern. Are you okay? Okay. Man, that was humbling. That was was painful, but it was also really humbling. You know, it's good to be humbled. It's good to be knocked on our butts sometimes, right? Um, We need it. We need to stay humble especially if we're going to maintain unity. Um, uh, Dr. Um, H.A. Uh, Ironside, he was a pastor professor, he uh, told a story one time about his father, when his father was dying and, uh, and laying in bed. Um, he kept uh, uh, repeating over and over again, he had stuck in his mind this passage from Acts 10, and he, he kept saying, a great sheet and wild beasts, and 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 he couldn't get it, and so he just repeated again: a great sheet and wild beasts, and 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 finally, um, he leaned down to his father and said, "Dad, it says creeping things." And he said, "That's it. That's how I got in. I'm just a dirty old creeping thing, but I got in." Humility, right? Um, do you realize that you are a Gentile? That Cornelius was a Gentile, but, I mean, he just lived in Caesarea. And right, after, right around the time that all this was happening. But think about how far the Gospels had to come to find you, crossing oceans and, and centuries and all the walls that it has had to break down in order to come and rescue you and make you a part of God's family, a Gentile. It ought to humble you. It ought to make you grateful that I, I get to be in this family of God. Something there is that doesn't love a wall or better yet, someone there is who doesn't love a wall because he has torn down all the walls and he commands us to do the same. Amen. Take a moment right now, bow your heads. In the silence of your own heart, give God thanks for cleansing you, for giving you the Holy Spirit, for making you a Gentile, part of his family and then take time to ask the Holy Spirit to help you build your life around the love of Jesus and not to build walls of prejudice that separate you from others ask him to give you a heart of love take time pray to the Lord